Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I want to thank you for being with us this weekend in the midst of all the busyness uh, coming to celebrate what the season is all about, celebrating our Savior, Jesus Christ. How many saw this picture in the news this past week? Raise your hand if you saw this picture in the news this past week. Yeah, it was a very uh, interesting story. This is the Chicago Metropolitan Correctional Institute in downtown Chicago, and it's basically a jail. And there were two men that escaped from this jail this past week from the 17th floor. Okay. <laughs> what they did is they broke out the window, which is very narrow, you see here, and uh, they removed the bar, and they put bed sheets together, 17 floors worth of bed sheets. They must have been saving them from quite a while. And uh, they went down the building. Now, this has happened two other times at this particular jail over the last 40 years. But it's just amazing. In the middle of the night, they scale the building and they change into some type of clothing and hailed a cab and drove away. Well, a couple of days ago, uh, one of these men was found, Joseph Banks there, on the right and out of the clothier, but uh, uh, he is a prolific bank robber in the Chicago area. He's stolen over $600,000 and 500000 is still unaccounted for. So he's got money somewhere, and Kevin Conley is still on the run and it just really struck me because today we're talking about a Bible story that has to do with two men who escape out a window, down the wall. It's <laughs> just like these men did, but for different motivations. We're in the midst of a series entitled, A Not-So-White Christmas. We're talking about the first part of the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 1, and people really don't pay a lot of attention to it because it's a genealogy. It's a lineage of people. Matthew is establishing the fact that Jesus Christ is a Messiah because he comes through the royal line of David. And what's interesting about this genealogy is that it includes four women. Now, you never had women in genealogies back in that day, especially... These four women, who had very colorful lives uh, for many different reasons. And so we've been talking about uh, these different women. The first week, and we just introduced the whole lineage and Bathsheba and Tamar. And today we're going to talk about Rahab's rope. And then tomorrow, we're going to have our Christmas Eve services at 3.30 and 5. And as I've said before... This is the easiest invite you can make with your neighbors and friends. Nobody, uh, maybe, <laughs> most, most people are not going to have a problem with a Christmas Eve invite. They'll say they're going to their family or going to another church. They're not going to get mad at you. It's a beautiful time to show spiritual interest in their lives and to invite them out and give you another opportunity maybe to invite them out in the future to our ministry. So invite someone. I invited 
My neighbor uh, last night took some pumpkin bread over as a bribe, and uh, <laughs> I'll see how that works. <laughs> but do that today. We have some invite cards on the ministry counter, and give them an invite card or just tell them, well, we'd love to have you uh, join us. Uh, again, another way to uh, show a gospel friend, somebody you'd like to see come into relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, just reach out to them and uh, show spiritual interest in their lives. And then next week, we'll be talking about Roos Romance. Now, let's take a look at this particular verse in Matthew that has to do with Rahab, that's out of this genealogy. Verse 5, And Solomon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse. So we have Rahab and Ruth, two of the women that we're talking about during this series. And Rahab and Solomon, their son was Boaz, and Boaz married Ruth, as you'll see next week. But today we're talking about Rahab, so let's look at the context of this story. Here's a map of the area of Israel. And the Israelites, remember, they were freed from Israel, and they journeyed 40 years because of their disobedience until they got to the Jordan River, which you see going right down the middle, and they were waiting to conquer the promised land, which God had promised them. And the first city they were going to conquer was Jericho. Moses had died. Joshua was leading them. And we'll look in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim, the spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So he sends them on a reconnaissance mission. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, why would they go and stay with a prostitute? Well, many different reasons. If you're a stranger in the land or in the city, being at a prostitute is not that unusual. Many people were traveling through to stop at the prostitute's house. Also, it was a great place to get information, and as we'll see, it was a very strategic location on the wall of the city. So they were at Rahab's place there. Now, what do we know about Rahab? Well, we don't know a whole lot about her. We knew that she was a Canaanite. Remember, we said last week about Canaanites, God detested them because they were so evil. They sacrificed their children to their gods. That's about all we have to say about how evil they were. So God said, stay away from them. So we look on in Joshua chapter 2, verse 2, And it was told of the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. So I don't know if they were that good of spies, if they were found out that quickly. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. The king of Jericho and everybody in Jericho was very concerned about the Israelites because they had heard about them. They had heard about how the Israelites were freed from Egypt. They had heard about the frogs and the locusts and the lice and the boils 
and the death that had come upon the people of Egypt because of the God of the Israelites. They had heard about them crossing the Red Sea. They had heard about them taking down the king Sihon and king Og and their nations. And now they knew, because of their spies, that this massive people, a couple million people, were just camped over the Jordan River, waiting to come in to conquer their land. They were very concerned about what was going on here. So the king wanted these men. Verse 4, But Rahab had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. Verse 5, And when the gate of Jericho was about to be closed at night, the dark, men went out. I don't know where the men went, Rahab said. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So she lies, and she also misleads them. She says, go, go after them, and you will catch them. But she, Rahab, had brought them up, the spies, to the roof, and hid them with the stalks of flax that she laid in order on the roof. Now, here's a picture of flax. Uh, what happened was is that when they harvested them, they put them on the roof to dry out, and then they bundled them together. They're about four to six feet long, and so she had all these stacks of flasks, and she buried them under these flasks in order to hide them. Verse 7, So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, as far as the river, couldn't find them, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Now this woman, Rahab, was a woman of incredible faith. She was putting everything on the line for these two spies. I mean, when the king's messengers came in, they could have easily said, hey, we're going to search a place. We don't believe you. You're a prostitute. But she believed in what these men were doing, and she was going to protect them. Verse 8, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land. So she believed that there was no doubt that uh, her address in Jericho was not going to be around very long. She knew that they were going to conquer. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. They're all shaking in their boots. Everybody in Jericho and around Jericho because the Israelites had arrived. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on earth beneath. Now right there we see Rahab, this Canaanite prostitute, giving her devotion to Jehovah when she says, because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above 
and on earth beneath. He is the God. He is the only God. And they were polytheists back in that day, the Canaanites, so they worshipped anything that came along that they thought might benefit their lives. But here she's saying, I know that your God is the God. And this is one of the critical steps when a person becomes a Christ follower to realize that Jesus Christ is God and that he is part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the one God. And, and this is, of course, very uncommon today because of the universalistic orientation that our culture has in people thinking, well, all religions, all types of faith lead to God. Be sincere about it. But that's not what the Word of God says. That's not what Jesus Christ says in John 14, 6. We read, I am the way, Jesus Christ says, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a very offensive verse to people. Because Jesus Christ says, I am the only way. So when it comes down to Christmas, it's all about Jesus Christ coming into this world, growing up and then claiming, I am God. And as we've all heard before, it's all about your decision about who Jesus Christ is and what you do about it that determines your future. Now you can say, well... Jesus Christ must have been lying because he wasn't God. But you notice that major religions that embrace him say he was a good teacher. Well, good teachers don't lie. Other people might say, well, Jesus Christ was a lunatic. That's your other option. He's just crazy. I mean, a person who claims to be God pretty much is a lunatic, unless they truly are. <laughs> and that's not the case, except with Jesus Christ. Or you have to claim Jesus Christ as Lord. And then you have to obey him because he is God. So we've got three options. Is Jesus Christ a liar when he says he's God? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? That's the essence of what Christmas is all about. Because that baby grew up to be a man to make a claim about who he was. And the question that you face today is what do you believe about Jesus Christ? Well, of course, we believe that he was God. Now we move on uh, to Joshua chapter 2, verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So not only does she believe, but she acts upon that belief. She is putting faith in God. She's putting faith in the spies who represent God. So it's not enough just to believe that Jesus Christ is God. One needs to put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation. You've got to take that next step of putting your faith in him as she does in God through these spies. So she says, listen. Can you help me? Can you save me? Because I've helped you. And verse 14, And the men said to her, Our life for yours, even the death. If you do not tell this business of ours, don't tell what's going on, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. 
Then she let them down with a rope to the window. Just like our friends here in Chicago. <laughs> For her house was built into the city wall so that she lived in the wall. So she let them down. She again acted in faith. Again, she was putting everything on the line here. If anybody saw them uh, escaping, uh, or if anybody found out about this, she certainly would die. But she was putting her faith in God. And that's what, friends, you need to do if you haven't made that decision about Jesus Christ. And you make the decision that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the only one who can save me from the penalty of my sin. Then you put your faith in him. You repent, you turn from your sin, and you put your faith in him for your salvation and for your eternity. We move on to verse 16. And Rahab said to them, Go into the hills where the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. She says, go off, hide for a while, and they'll forget about you. The men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made. I swear, we're going to be guiltless because we're going to do what we say. Then they give her instructions. They're working on all the details here. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. So we know a little more about the cord, that it was scarlet. She had put a scarlet cord down in order for them to escape. And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. So only people who are in your home will be saved. So don't let them go wandering around. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head. So they make an agreement. Verse 20, they go on. But if you tell this business of ours, if you tell them what we're doing, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us worse. So the deal's off. And she said, according to your words, so be it. The agreement is sealed. Then she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in her window. So right away, she didn't know when they were coming back. But she wanted to make sure that that scarlet cord was hanging there. So whenever the invasion took place, she would be saved. Then it goes on, verse 22, They departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. This scarlet cord is very interesting in what it represents, in what it symbolizes. I, how many have a uh, ribbon in your uh, folder? Somebody give me a ribbon. I think I misplaced mine. Oh, thanks. Tracy? Yeah, I included these today as I, I thought about the uh, the scarlet cord. I thought it'd be nice if you had a reminder of this as you step throughout this Christmas week. There's a lot of things that uh, this ribbon can remind you of, and my encouragement for you is to put it in your wallet or to 
put it in your purse or wherever you might see it, because it's a powerful reminder of the truth that's taught in this passage. So we look at the scarlet cord, and scarlet uh, was a color that was represented uh, that represented prostitution. In fact, Israel, Israel was supposed to be a lover of God. But many times they turned away from God and became a lover of other gods, other idols. And God said that uh, you have worn scarlet like a prostitute would wear because you've prostituted yourself to other gods. So this idea of scarlet speaks of sin, of loving other things more than you love God. It also is symbolic of what happened at the Passover when the Israelites were released from Egypt. Remember the angel of death that was to come over the land and God told the Israelites to paint, first of all, to sacrifice a lamb, and then to take the blood of the lamb and to paint it on the doorposts. And that blood was to cover them and the angel of death would pass over them. So the scarlet blood, the crimson blood, protected them. And I believe the scarlet cord here is a representation of that blood. Of course, then as we look throughout the Old Testament, God required, because of our sin, because of the penalty of our sin and everyone who's ever lived, a, a payment. Uh, someone had to pay for the penalty of sin. And they sacrificed lambs on a regular basis and on a yearly basis in order to show God that uh, they were repentant of their sin. And so that also is a picture of this scarlet cord of sin being forgiven through the blood of a lamb. It was only temporary, these different sacrifices, because the true sacrifice was to come, and that sacrifice was in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who paid the penalty for our sin, because we're all born sinners, right? We're all born dead on arrival, spiritually, DOA. And the only thing that can bring us back to life is faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Jesus Christ came as a baby. And, of course, that's of course, what we you know, are rejoicing over, that he came into this world, Emmanuel, God with us, and he lived among us. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. A lot of people have nativity scenes. In their home. A lot of people care less about Jesus Christ and nativity scenes in their home because it's comfortable to have a little baby in your house. Everybody loves babies, right? And so, yeah, they, they have Jesus Christ there as a baby, but they don't think about the full implications of Jesus Christ's birth in that he grew to be a man, a man that claimed to be God, a man that demanded to be dealt with. A man who is God, 
who still says today, you've got to make a decision about me. Well, baby can't say anything, so it's cool having an activity scene. But, I mean, when you, you take the, the, the purpose of Christmas in terms of Christ coming to the world and extend that all the way to Easter, it's about what decision have you made about Jesus Christ? In uh, 1 Corinthians 1.7, it says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. It's the blood that cleanses us from all sin, the crimson blood. Why, why is that? Well, again, we were condemned because of our sin. We were born sinners, and therefore somebody had to pay the penalty if we were to live eternally with God. And so Jesus Christ came into this world as the God-man, lived the perfect life. He was our representative on the cross. He died there. He, he bore the sins of all the world. He took our place on the cross in order that we would not have to spend eternity separated from him. And he atoned for our sins. He, he made it possible for us to have a relationship with Jesus, with God. God the Father. And, and he died on our behalf. The idea of shedding blood is the idea of giving one's life. It was a full redemptive work of Christ, the shedding of blood. And that's what needed to happen. Somebody needed to pay the price. And Jesus Christ did it on the cross. So the question for you and I is, how have we responded to Jesus Christ? And again, as I've said many times before, I ask people, if you were to, go, if you were to die tonight, you think you go to heaven. And if a person says, well, I think so, or I'm no, or <laughs> yeah, and I ask them why, they say, well, because I'm such a good person or I'm better than other people. I know that they have not yet fully understood how much of a sinner they really are, <laughs> number one, like we all are. Number two, that the only way to come into relationship with God is to Come with your hands empty, no works in your hands, and put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so I'll talk with them further about that if I'm in conversation uh, with them. But again, as we see here, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all our sin. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and you're not sure about your relationship with God, you're not sure if you're going to heaven, uh, you can have that assurance today by simply going to God and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've got nothing I can offer that's going to impress you. I cannot earn my salvation by my good works. And therefore, I humbly ask for this free gift of salvation that's offered through your Son, Jesus Christ. And when you make that decision, Jesus Christ comes into your life because you express faith in him. You believe and you express faith with an attitude of repentance, of wanting to follow him and do his will. And we see the pattern of Rahab is that she believed in the God of the Israelites and she acted upon that. She expressed faith in God. And so I just would really encourage you this Christmas season to make that decision. In fact, let's just bow for a moment here. And uh, if you have never really full, fully put your trust in Christ apart from your good works, uh, you're not sure if you're going to heaven if you die tonight. Uh, just repeat this prayer after me. 
Dear Lord Jesus, silently. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that uh, without you, I'll spend eternity separated from you. Lord, thank you for what Jesus did on the cross. And I accept your gift of salvation. I repent of my sin. And I want you as my Savior and Lord. In Christ's name, amen. If you made that decision, I would encourage you to write that down on your communication slip that you'll find in your program that you tear off. Let us know about that so that we can be an encouragement to you. We go on in the story, and verse 22 it says, But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go to the prostitute's house. Now this is after, uh, just quickly a summary of the story, uh, many of you remember from Sunday school how they conquered Jericho, how they walked around it seven different times, and then they blew, uh, the, the priests blew the trumpets, and the people yelled, and uh, the walls of Jericho fell. Now, her house was protected, being on the wall, but at the same time, the walls of Jericho fell, and they went in. So now we pick the story up, but the two men who had, been sp- had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab. And you just imagine that in the midst of... Uh, all this chaos going on. You got all of Rahab's family huddling in this house, waiting, waiting for salvation. The scarlet cord is hanging from the window, and all of a sudden these two spies show up and say, We're here to save you. And that's what faith does. When we have faith in God, He delivers. And you can imagine, as they were escorted out of the city, the joy in Rahab's heart, the joy in their hearts. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. Then they destroyed the city, verse 24, and they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, uh, belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she had lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. An incredible illustration of faith on this prostitute's part putting her confidence in God. What I love about this is that she brings all of her relatives in. She, 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 she said, oh, I want to do more than just uh, save myself. I want to save all those people that I love, all those people that I care about. And certainly that's all our desires. Once we become a Christ follower, the first thing is we want our mom and our dad and our brothers and our sisters and everyone we know and love to come into relationship with Jesus. And I'm sure that's your desire this Christmas and has been for many years for those in your family who've not come to know Jesus. And, of course, here we are, Christmas week. We're all headed off to our uh, Christmas uh, times with family, many of us. And uh, maybe there's still people in your family who don't know Jesus. And the idea here uh, with this uh, 
red ribbon or let's say the red cord is that we want other people to embrace the red cord. We want other people to embrace Jesus Christ. Who is it in your family or your friends that you have been praying for, that you have been uh, pleading with the Lord to bring into relationship with him? You know, what I'd like you to do today is uh, take a Sharpie or some other type of marker and write down the name of the person on this ribbon. And then use that as a reminder as well. That not only do you embrace Jesus Christ and his love for you, but you are praying that this other person also would experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers. And I, I just would encourage you so much, before you go to any particular type of gathering, that you spend some time with your family as you drive there and pray for anybody at that gathering that doesn't know Jesus. And say, Lord, I pray that we might be a light. And that can mean so many different ways, just caring for them, listening to them, showing love for them. Uh, if you have the opportunity to talk about your spiritual life, talk about, I mean, one of the easiest ways is to talk about your church family. Talk about the small group you're part of, the ministry you're part of. And it shows that there's something different in your life. So tell them how God answered a prayer request in your life. Just sprinkle uh, the seeds of the gospel uh, in their life. And just pray as a family that we have an opportunity to be a light at our family gathering. If there are people there who don't know about the Lord. Because that was Rahab's heart. Not only did she have faith for herself, but she also had faith for other people. And friends, we need to have faith for other people. We need to believe that Jesus Christ can save people in our family and save our friends. And we need to exhibit that faith just as Rahab did. An incredible woman of faith asking these men who were so powerful because they represented this powerful God to save her and to save her family. Well, we have a powerful Father if we know Jesus Christ who can do the same in our lives. And what's interesting about Rahab is that she exhibited uh, this faith in such a way that she's mentioned two other times in the New Testament. We look at James 2.25, it says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? So James is all about the relationship between faith and works. And James is saying... If you really have been transformed by Jesus Christ, works are going to naturally flow out of your life because there are certain people who are thinking, well, you know, I just have to have faith in Christ or believe in Christ and not worry about the works. But no, no, he's saying faith without works is dead. If your faith is active and alive, it's going to result in fruit. So he's saying that Rahab had faith, but it resulted in action. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? She is an example to us, James says, of what faith and works are really all about. Then you find Rahab's name in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. <laughs> I mean, it really is interesting. Hebrew, and no other... So the other women we've talked about uh, are found there, but Rahab is. Verse 31, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish 
were those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I don't know about you, but that lifts my heart. Rahab, among the list in the Hall of Faith. Rahab, who was a Canaanite of all things, a Canaanite, and a prostitute to top it off. Why would God use a person like that? Because God uses broken people. God uses imperfect people. God uses people whose lives have not been pretty, have not been perfect. God uses us. That's what this whole series is all about. That's what Christmas is all about. It's all about God's grace flowing out to us. And Rahab is one of the most powerful examples. I don't know about you, but Rahab gives me hope. When I look at my own life and my sinfulness and how... Uh, I'm so far from where I want to be with God. I think about Rahab, and I think, God, if you can use Rahab, you certainly can use me. And some of you are just walking around, and you're thinking, I can't do anything for God. I, I got so many things in my past, and I look at other people around me who seem so spiritual and have their act together, and I'm a mess, you know, I'm just a mess. <laughs> What could God do with me? Now look at Rahab. God works through us. It's not what we have in us. Obviously, it's what God does through us. And all we need to do is come to God and say, God, I'm just, I'm just me. But I want you to use me. You show me how you want to use me. So if Rahab can do that, God can empower us to have faith. You know, is there, is there an area of in your life where you need faith right now, where you're on the edge? Maybe it's a financial situation. Maybe it's a physical situation with you or one of the people in your family. Maybe it's a relational breakdown. Maybe it's an emotional uh, disorder that you're dealing with. Uh, especially on the holidays, you know, I mean, we're supposed to be happy, right? Everybody happy? Yeah? <laughs> I bet we have some unhappy people here. The holidays, if you're unhappy already, the holidays make it work. Everybody's happy and I'm not happy. <laughs> you get depressed, you know, but God loves you just the way you are. And uh, you need faith just to get through the holidays, maybe. You need to express your faith in God. Say, God, i got an impossible situation here. I don't know what to do. But I, just like Rahab, she is in an impossible situation, but she expressed faith in you, and you came through. And that's what I want to do in my life. I want, I want to hold on to the scarlet cord. I want to hold on to Jesus Christ. Most beautiful thing. I found some verses that, that talk about this. That God is our Savior, but He's also our sustainer. We look in uh, Nehemiah 9.21. Forty years, the Israelites, God sustained them in the wilderness. 
and they lack nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. Why did their clothes wear out? Well, God gave them some incredible clothes. <laughs> they just never wore out, right? And he took care of their feet as well. Let's go back uh, to the previous verse. Let's just go back one verse. Sorry, I moved my hand. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> That's it. Cool. But uh, 40 years, they sus- God sustained them in the wilderness. Are you in a wilderness? And you're a Christ follower? And you're empty and you're tired and you're wondering, what's going on here? Isn't the Christian life supposed to be like Disneyland? <laughs> Disney World? No, no. Uh, the Christian life is life, but it's ups and downs, and Christian life is full of suffering. But I like the word sustain. He's our Savior, but we, we hold on to the scarlet rope because he sustains us in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our disappointment, in the, in the midst of our broken dreams. That's what Christmas is all about. He's our Savior, and he's our sustainer that we can come and continue to pour out our hearts to him, our brokenness, our anxieties, our, our fears. And he will sustain us. He promises that. I love this verse. We, 1 Peter 5, 7, Cast all your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Here we see, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. That's a rich word, sustain. Sustain doesn't mean he's going to give you all your dreams. The saying doesn't mean that uh, your life is going to go beautifully. But it means no matter, think about your worst fear. Whatever happens, he's going to sustain you of that. If your worst fear is getting cancer and dying, we're all going to die, right? That's a common fear, though. He will sustain you through that. Isn't that comforting? Nobody wants to think about pain, but it's a part of life. But the promise here that we need to hold on to, and so many of you know it so intimately because you've been through that. You've been through the things that people fear the most, and you can say, yes, it was just so, so hard. But I held on to the scarlet rope of Jesus Christ. And God sustained me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray for my friends here. I pray for those who do not know, do not yet know Jesus. Hopefully some made a decision to follow you today. I pray for others who are still exploring that relationship. And I pray that they would grab onto the scarlet cord. Grab onto your cleansing blood and be made new. I pray for my friends here who are aching for those who are lost in their families. And I pray that as maybe they gather with them this week, they would have the faith needed to step out and speak about their faith in you. And they would be able to love and just be used in any way you want to bring that person into relationship with you. And, Lord, I pray for those who are just overwhelmed right now, overwhelmed with 
physical issues, financial issues, relational issues, busyness of life. And I pray that you would sustain them. I pray you would, they would put your, their faith in you. Not like everything is going to change overnight. Again, the same suffering they have today might be there tomorrow. But that you would sustain them through that suffering as you have promised. In Christ's name, amen.